This is the Untitled Film Project podcast. Watch, then come listen. Let's talk about the movies. This time, we're talking about The Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the prequel to the original Hunger Games series, and uh, we no longer have Katniss Everdeen. We have early Hunger Game participants and a teenage, but will be someday, President Snow. We'll talk Hunger Games prequel. We'll also do some quick hits on some other movies we've seen, including Poor Things and Napoleon. And then the big question. That big question is, who do you want to see host the Oscars? Probably getting a little tired of Jimmy Kimmel, so who would mm. we prefer to see out there? <laughs> the The internet is restless after hearing he was the latest choice. We'll, we'll wrestle about it coming up. Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Let's get initial takes. Gover. I think they got the casting wrong. Interesting. As I wrote about on the untitledfilmprojectpod.com. Plug. Yeah, shameless plug. In my review for Songbirds and Snakes, the actor who played Snow, Tom Blythe, is solid. I'm not taking anything away from his performance. But the guy who played his best friend, Josh Andres Rivera, is so comfortable, so believable, so amazing in his small role that it's very obvious to me that the talent and the charisma is being suppressed Uh, to make room for the lead. Now, I understand that Snow can't look like Rivera in in a prequel because he looks like he's going to look like Donald Sutherland later. Eventually. I, I understand that. So that part works. I get it. Okay. And again, they did a fine job. It's not like Blythe's a bad actor. But Rivera is a star in the making. I can tell that by his grand total of what? 22 minutes on screen? I mean, he's that short. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Rivera was outstanding. And I will even say that I happened to catch him on total accident on the Kelly Clarkson show earlier this week. And he said that he turned to Rachel Ziegler in the screening after it was over, like when the credits rolled. Yeah. And he said, well, I guess I can continue working. <gasps> and I think that's such a charming and amazing insight into his vulnerability. Like, sure. Like, you know, Oh, I, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. And so he is tremendous and I know he's not going to see this, but I, dude, you're extremely talented and I cannot wait to see now all of a sudden the Aaron Hernandez story. Cause he's Aaron Hernandez in that. Oh, and I so didn't know. I never even cared. And now all of a sudden I'm like, no, I want to see what he brings to the table. He's going to do it well. So, yeah, they casting wrong. Again, I understand that you got to have fit a certain look. I get <laughs> sure. that. But Josh Rivera was absolutely incredible. Well, I'm going to do my initial take. And I also am going to question some casting. Uh, and I'm going to talk about Rachel Ziegler. Uh-oh. Okay, now, I I really like the way they chose her as the female lead and decided to use her musical talents as part of the charm that is going to win over the people of Panem in The Hunger Games. Uh, But she's too beautiful. Uh, It's like, if you're coming from District 12 and you're dirt poor, it shouldn't look like you walked out of the best salon in L.A., (laughs) Okay, uh, I mean her. I mean, I'm sitting there going like because my wife has drained me. So I'm like, damn, those are perfect eyebrows, man. She's just like every scene. She oh, just looks so 
gorgeous and it's out of place i think in the movie uh they should have uh, you know <laughs> they rub, pulled they pulled a she's all that yeah <laughs> rub dirt on her or something i you know something like that but i will say my uh, the rest of my initial take is just that i didn't think i wanted a hunger games prequel um because the original hunger games started off great and they kind of petered out as they went along in yep. my opinion <laughs> and he um, petered out they petered out <laughs> I love it. I hate it. Um, You're welcome. And uh, so I wasn't that, you know, oh, I got to have some more. Um, but the movie won me over. I, I didn't realize I did want to see some more. So that's my initial take of uh, Songbirds and Snakes. All right. So Bradford, I have some issues. Well, with the film and my, personally. Yes. Well, <laughs> not enough time for the personal don't, ones. Don't we all? <laughs> I feel like it was actually pretty wonderfully acted. Rachel Ziegler has a beautiful voice. Was, she's great. I was impressed. The the writing, I think, was actually done pretty well. It didn't like there wasn't cheesy. The cheesy was there was meant to be cheesy with Jason Schwartzman's character as well with yes. Flickerman. So funny. I just something didn't click for me. Something did not click to make me connect with the characters. Again, good acting, great singing, good writing, didn't click. And that frustrates me because I wanted to enjoy it more because I love the Hunger Games. I've read the books. I've read this book yep. as well. With, with the movie, it felt unnecessary to me because when I want to know more about the Hunger Games, yeah, there's the book. And yeah, that's what Suzanne Collins decided to do is write this book on snow. I want to learn something else about the prequel to the Hunger Games. I want to learn about the war that led to the Hunger Games. I don't care about President Snow. I would have probably also enjoyed that yeah. a little more. Like, I, tell me, give me what led to the Hunger Games. To this. And they almost gave the impression, without I didn't read the book, but they almost gave me the impression that that's what we were going to get in this movie. Right. I thought we were going to get a little more of that. No, we, we got the origin, the villain origin story for some reason. Right. They were and, already doing the Hunger Games. And that's why I didn't connect, because like, I already hate Snow. I, I already mm -hmm. hate him as a as, as a as a character, as a person, I I do not care for him because he's built that way. Right. So why do you want me to empathize a little bit with him? I don't like when that happens. Interesting. I don't want to empathize with the villain. Like, oh, well, now I see why he's murdered so many people. is because of what he went through when he was abandoned in the forest. I, mm. I didn't connect with that. Like, I wanted to. I wanted to connect with Rachel Zegler's character more. I wanted to connect with the story more. I just didn't. Now, again, Josh Andres Rivera was phenomenal, almost yeah, to good. a Rami Malek type of delivery. Oh, yeah. With the way he delivers his lines, and maybe there's inspiration behind that. Yeah. But I really did like his delivery, so go over a thing is spot on. And with, was, with as delivery. a revolutionary, I bought him. Yes. Yeah. So, but again... I was disappointed with myself and feeling this way about the movie because I think it's a well-produced movie. The The action sequences are good. The CGI is good overall. But initial take is just I wanted to love it more than I did. Gotcha. Go over. Let's get into the meat of the movie, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the Hunger Games prequel. I have a lot of thoughts, but I'm going to boil it down to two. Okay. The two main ones. Okay. The first one is... This movie is a slow burn for sure on how snow turns from good slash idyllic to evil. Right. Okay. So he's got these aspirations of being powerful, obviously, because I think every kid wants to be president or, you know, whatever, a, an athlete or, you know, whatever high end, sure. you know, doctor, lawyer, right? All those things. Okay. So that that's fine. But what I didn't know going into this was that they were going to give me the whole arc. Okay. From his, his beginnings of, okay, obviously surviving on the streets for, you know, what, three minutes, whatever. But also being like, 
Okay, so he's now at the stage where he's about to walk in, get this plinth prize, you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden the rug swept out from under him. Now his, his life is going to change. <clears throat> but at that point, he's good. His cousin even delivers a line of saying, you're good. You're a good person. Because Mostly good. Yeah, because that's, how, that's what she knows. She right. knows him as that. And then at the end of the movie... He's turned evil and bad, and now he's all he wants is power. He's power hungry, and he knows that's the way to. Because the world back. screwed him over, so he's going to screw over the world. Right. Yes. So <laughs> what I didn't, what I'm, my point of saying all this is that it's the full arc between, or from good to bad for him. Okay, and that's fine. Here's the problem. I focused on Rachel Ziegler's character. I thought this movie going in. I thought this movie was about her. So did I. The first two. Parts, because it's, it's broken into three parts. It's so the first part two movie. parts, they could have rolled credits. I wrote about this in the Untitled Project, ProjectPod.com as well. If uh, they could have rolled credits, like after he got processed and he's like, send me to 12, and they could have left it on a cliffhanger right there without, without the bribe, or maybe showing the bribe but not the actual thing. Like they could have rolled credits right there, and that would have been one movie. So you're saying part three was basically a really long epilogue? I'm, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. That's, actually, that's exactly what's in my notes. This oh. It's a good way to go. Uh, is, yeah. is that everything in part, everything after the bribery, we'll put it that way, everything everything after the bribery, you could have put at a, as a mid-credit scene, a 45-minute mid-credit scene. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't need that. ever. I didn't need that. Again, yeah. I, I go back and think about it. Okay, it's the arc of him. But in my watching in the theater, I thought, oh, this is a song. It's, a, it's about Lucy Gray. Yeah. It's not a story about him. It's about Lucy Gray. And therefore, the movie ended when he bribed the woman to let him go to 12. So he's over. Be, so he could be with her. Movie yeah. is over. It's so, over. So you didn't want the full villain arc. You just wanted the seed planted of the villain arc kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't need, again, uh, to your point earlier, I've seen. The villain. I've seen what he becomes. I don't need all that. I, already I had enough, right? Yeah. So all this to say is I went back and saw it a second time. My wife and kid hadn't seen it, and they really, really wanted to see it. So I've actually seen it twice. Okay. Okay. Okay, so it's very fresh. Yeah. Yeah. So the screener was the, I don't need, like, why, where is that? Why is the third party even in there? The second viewing, it was like, oh, it's about snow from front to back. And in that case, it works. The problem is it's called The Hunger Games. It's about the Hunger Games. Well, the Hunger Games are over after part two. I mean, Mockingjay it was definitely not the Hunger Games anymore. Right, but I'm saying True. in this movie, it's that it was over. We yeah. thought we were getting an origin story of, of something else, not a President Snow. Right, so my point is it was a mess in that regard. That's my deeper dive is it's two movies into one. They could have easily made a second film. They could have cut it right there. People have and said then, that. And give us, the, give us a second film with more color in it. And it was fun for the first two-thirds of the film. And after that, it was like, this is all unnecessary. I don't need to see this. I'm going to take... Give it to me in another film. Unnecessary I'm gonna take is a key you... word here, because I used it too. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to take it one one bit further, uh, because I agree with you, uh, you know, that the at the end of The Hunger Games, and you know, per, maybe just a little bit after that, end of movie. I was ready to walk out. Yes. I was happy. Uh, I was satisfied. I, I got what I wanted from the movie. The drama was there. The energy was there. The performances were there. Children died. I was ready. Yes. It was compelling. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the Hunger Games, the, the simple thing of it is that no matter what you say, like I've seen Hunger Games before, uh, the Hunger Games is a compelling premise that no matter what, if you're invested in any character whatsoever, you are in. Yes. Right? It Agreed. works. Yes. Um, the part where, you know, <laughs> Corleanus, I mean, oh, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but, uh, you know, the, the 
outrageousness of the names that Suzanne Collins has decided to give her characters just to make it different was was silly to me. Um, you know, uh, as far as you know, Young Snow, uh, like that part where he's in the, in the forest and he's you know shooting up at the birds and you know you kind of see like where he really turns could have been the first five minutes of another movie. I wouldn't give it another movie. I would give it the first five and then move on to something else. But I don't know the book, so I can't say exactly what I would do, but uh, I didn't think it deserved another 40 minutes. I was like, at that point, I figured I should have been home. Uh, Completely agree. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the things I liked about the movie, uh, I liked a little bit of a good peek into life inside District 12. Uh, I liked that, uh, you know, Rachel Ziegler's character, Lucy Gray Baird, uh, was kind of like, uh, she's kind of a pop culture phenomenon in her own district, you know, I did have. She's a gypsy, so yeah, and and it definitely had uh, you know a below the decks feel on from Titanic that they're yes, you know yeah. what I mean. Okay, it's a, it's a it's a lower class working town, and these are the way things are there, and they're a little bitter, and it was kind of a like a, kind of a neat fleshed it out a little more than what we got in the original trilogy, um, and I, and the fact that they let her sing, um, she's she's a great singer. If you haven't seen her. <laughs> Go watch Steven Spielberg's West Side Story from, I think, 2021. I believe it's 2021. Yeah. And uh, you'll also you see Ariana DeBose, who is in Disney's Wish and is the star of that. And Josh Rivera. Yes, exactly. So you're, you're seeing these great people. Go see them in a, in a phenomenal movie that got kind of uh, overlooked by a, by quite a few people. And COVID. In uh, COVID. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. A little um, Yeah. So Lucy Graybeard. That character singing as, you know, one of the things that, you know, that they capitalized on in the Hunger Games to make her a spectacle and to bring people in and invest in her. I thought it was a really smart play. Um, can only do that once, um, but they used it well. Uh, I found it very compelling. The action was good. The, I thought the, you know, because the Hunger Games are brutal. Um, and I thought they showed maybe a little more of a brutality, which I think was a little more realistic than the first Hunger Games movies. Um, and I really enjoyed what happened, how they use things, you know, how, uh, you know, Corleanus, you know, sort of helps her, but he's helping himself and sometimes it doesn't always work out. So like, this is a compelling movie uh, until the third act, which you could have just left off. And what was curious too, and what I wanted to know more about was the Hunger Games itself was seeing the whole, how it came to be to where they're treated like stars, which... It's all Snow's idea. But right. before that, how they're being treated truly like animals, how they're being brought in on the train in stock cars Absolutely. and not being treated well and fed well and how they're stored in a zoo. They're being poked by with sticks, just like they're you just would being a, looked at a, a tiger all the time. And how it's a, just an arena, not an arena that has technology in it, but a literal arena where they can explore anything in the arena, right. but it's just in an arena. And seeing that part of the primitiveness of it made me go, so how much of a jump in technology there was with these Hunger Games oh, over yes. the decades leading to Katniss Everdeen and as well, which there were those 
Easter eggs there for sure. Oh, it's a cat nest. Da, da, da. Yeah, that was almost that was an eye roll moment for me. Like, a little did bit. Did you have to? But but she, she said it was. The, my, my wife said it was in the book though. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I, but but see, it translates better in a book than it does in a movie. For sure. I'm just saying. That's yeah. That's and that's the thing. Because it was so. an eye roll mo- moment for me, having not read the book. Right. I was like really, that's where right. you reach. But when you read it in a book, yeah. it just it hits different in a book. Sure. I gave I'm it immediate sure forgiveness once I knew it was in the right. Book. Yeah. I'm sure, it's set up right. But that's yeah. what I would want to explore more is the whole premise of the Hunger Games. That's what I'll keep on going here is like please miss collins give us that give us the war and the leading to the hunger games because we saw the brutality of things and the cringy moments like we're meant to cringe and feel uncomfortable because this is something that if things go awry hopefully decades from now not anytime soon this could happen right not meant to be fantasy this is meant to be science fiction it's a cautionary tale it's It's close enough yes to be relatable. And Flickerman's delivery yes. of the cringe moments of how they make it a spectacle mm-hmm. of people, of children killing other children and then human beings killing other human beings for the sake of spectacle is not something that's so far-fetched. No. So I, I not necessarily enjoy, but I appreciate that exploration, but that's what I want more of. Sure. Is the exploration of what led the capital to, to decide this is what we're going to do when they made these games. And they even lead to it with Peter Dinklage's character, right? Yes. So, well, we had this idea on a napkin, basically. And then, right. Never thought it was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a nod to the future, and it's also a nod to uh, all men who think about the Roman Empire most <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Because <laughs> because it's a, it's a gladiator spectacle. I mean, even the the auditorium they had it in yep. almost looked like the Colosseum. Um, but you mentioned uh, Lucky Flickerman, uh, who I am going to say absolutely makes this movie without Jason Schwartzman's uh, appearance as the uh, ancestor of Caesar Flickerman, as Lucky Flickerman, who's just finding the role of hosting the Hunger Games because he's also a weatherman was brilliant. His execution of it, his comedic timing was fantastic. And just when things are getting so uncomfortable and so angst-filled, he delivers a line that acknowledges what's happening and gives it a... Well, you know, like, and uh, so much for them. <laughs> bye bye. That it was just like this relief valve yes. of comedy yeah, yeah. that, uh, you know, if done too much, would have been bad. If not done enough, wouldn't have given you that relief. I love Jason Schwartzman, my favorite actor in the Hunger Games prequel. Well, we're throwing out actors and performances then, Viola Davis. She Thoughts was good. on her as the villain. She I think awesome. she played the role really well in the makeup she had to go through. I think she just TikTok that style three, four hours of makeup oh, to prepare yeah. for this with how they're able to do her face and her hair, the the prosthetics and everything. Plenty of prosthetics as well. So and the way she acted was just so different from anything we've ever seen yes. her in. Uh, and obviously, I mean, she, she's proven that she's one of the great actors of our time. Oh yes. Uh, but to see, uh, it was fun to see her go places that I didn't expect her to go to in a character. Loved it. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, Napoleon and poor things with a quick hit and the big question. But first, we must give scores to The Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And for our scores, let's start it off with Mr. Bradford. 
All right. So as I said earlier, I like the acting performances. Rachel Ziegler's voice is absolutely phenomenal and beautiful. Josh Rivera, wanted to see him more on screen. So like his delivery, the writing I thought was pretty crisp. It just didn't connect with me like I wanted it to. And there's so much more I want to be explored in this world that has been built. And yes, this is based on a book. But that's not necessarily the book that I wanted. <laughs> and so it's not the movie that I wanted, especially because the book just released in, what, 2020? So it only released it's a quick turnaround. three years ago. It's a quick turnaround. So it's almost like it was written for the movie to be made, mm-hmm. which I don't always like. I, I get it. Authors will write books because like, this will make a great movie someday. Right. But it's the someday part <laughs> and not the I'm writing this book basically as the screenplay. Sure. So A little shortcut take. A little, little, yeah. So I just didn't connect like I wanted to connect. Uh, I do agree that it was part three, the third act, threw me off a bit with how that was portrayed, But even though I did like the, the look into Area tw- District 12. But with that, be, the only reason I give it the score is because the acting performances are actually good. It would be lower since I didn't connect with it, but I give it a seven. Okay. All right. Let's uh, go to Jeremy Gover. Give us a score. I watched this movie twice, and both times I had a different takeaway. <laughs> the first time being, okay, this is about Rachel Ziegler's character, and then feeling disjointed when there's a part three. Second time, realizing, oh, it's about Snow's arc. That's a problem. Right. Okay, to have to go. I mean, just to to, to have to see it twice and be explained, uh, have it ex- explained to you by people who know more about it. Yes, for sure. So that means you didn't do your job. That's what that means. Because you have to assume when you make a movie like this based on a book or a video game. We talked about it Five Nights at Freddy's episode, which you can watch right here if you're watching on YouTube. Okay, when you do things like that, based on toys. The original Spawn movie in the 90s, those kinds of things. You have to educate the audience to a point. You can't assume everyone knows all the lore right? walking into the theater. You, you should be able, be able to walk in. You can't insult their intelligence either, but right. you have to at least get... Even Marvel does that with like flashbacks sometimes. For sure so. they do. Yep. Bring, bring them up to speed. That's right. And this movie clearly told me two different stories, and I saw the same movie within a four-day period. <laughs> so it was two movies in one. Did not like the fact there was a part three. I seriously think you can still do everything I just said you can do. You can still tell the whole Young Snow story, but you do it in two parts. You give us the Hunger Games part. He bribes the woman to go to District 12. That's the cliffhanger. Credits roll. Bang. Then the next year, (laughs) you give us maybe a little bit more beefed up hour and a half, hour 45, part two of that. It tells your whole arc. All the Hunger Hunger fans, all the Hunger Games fans are going to, Sit through both movies back to back, just like mm-hmm. this Marvel fans do. You know, try to get so sure. that you could accomplish the same. Should have been two movies. This movie will be nominated for an Oscar. In what category? Best, Best original song. Ziggler's "Nothing You Can Take from Me" should be nominated for an Oscar. It's tremendous. She's great, and at least it would recognize her talent. Oh yeah, if she was just nominated right. for that, that would be tremendous. I give it a seven point all right. Well, wow. there's two straight sevens. Uh, <laughs> fist bumps from Bradford and Gover, which doesn't usually happen. It's never happened. Is this the first time? Oh, my gosh. We've high-fived before. Yeah, that's the first but, fist bump. But first fist, first wow. fist bump in the 63 We're actually like mind-melding with the different takes, but we're oh my thinking gosh. the same. Mm-hmm. The way so. you two connected. Which you is sh- scary. You should be cuddling now. The next one are probably going to fight. <laughs> 
I hope so. The next one's Wish, so let's see. Uh, so for the Hunger Games prequel, the movie that I didn't know I wanted, um, I thought was pretty good. Uh, at the beginning, it's it's a lot younger. Uh, even the, uh, the, the color tone of the movie reminded me of early Harry Potter. Okay. Uh, they're, they're kids. They're at, they're kind of at a school together. Um, it just had those warm tones. I mean, there's almost scenes in the train station that looked like, you know, track nine and three quarters. Um, so I'm just like a vibe that it gave off. Um, I liked, you know, Rachel Ziegler's character, even though she was too pretty for the role, they should have just ugged her up a little bit. Um, her up. <laughs> Let you know. your eyebrows grow, lady. Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, and I sort of liked the, you know, President Snow arc and where he was beginning and changing. Um, I thought the, you know, the, the battle sequences within the Hunger Games, very entertaining, uh, much too long. Don't give me the third act. And uh, I probably would have given it a high, higher score. But because I was entertained and it overcame my, I don't think I need to see this, uh, I'm actually giving Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes a 7.5. So close to a unanimous score. I which know. we've also never had, by the right. way. And but I will I will take this as we're all kind of thinking no, very of similar course. things. Very similar. And uh, and I think this is the first time I've given given the highest score of the three. No, I don't I don't think so. Maybe think maybe so. not. Okay. That, that, that one's not stored fans. in my brain. I don't about two movies in theaters uh, that we'll give a quick hit on and maybe not a full episode's worth. Let's start with Bradford. You went to go see Emma Stone in Poor Things. I did, and this was curious. Did you see Emma Stone in Poor Things? You see a lot of Emma Stone in Poor Things. Okay. More uh, than we've ever seen this, uh, here. I, yeah, I didn't know what to expect. You know the main premise, and this is not spoiling anything for you because it's doesn't come out for a bit. It's a young woman is brought back to life by a, an unorthodox scientist and doctor played by Willem Dafoe. This is one of the most curious, intriguing takes on feminism and self-exploration that, that I've probably ever seen. Really? And that is kind of set up the story a little bit there too, that I'm this is not going to be for e- everyone. Even more than Barbie, would you say? Well, I'm completely sure in a different, much different take. way. Okay, just uh, so that's why I say curious and intriguing okay. because this is a very, very dark comedy. I mean, okay, dark comedy. You do not bring your children to this movie, folks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> unless you want to have lots of conversations with them. Right, it's gonna be a long car ride home. Immediately after the film, of various types. Yes, um, you you don't take your children to this movie, but <laughs> the ballad of the birds and the bees. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's a different kind of ballad. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's dark. It's funny. It is the the set design is absolutely beautiful. Mark Ruffalo is also in this movie too, and it is he's hilarious in it. It is overacted in a perfect way for him. Like that's his character. His character character is meant to be overacted. Emma okay. Stone is brilliant in it because you're seeing the way a mind develops. Okay, with her story, but it is one of those. If you appreciate film, 
You appreciate dark humor and you appreciate something that has depth that is going to make you really think way past watching the film where you're going to get out of there going, I really don't know exactly what I just watched, but I'm going to keep thinking about it so I can figure out what I just watched. Those are fun for me. Then you're going to enjoy this film. And I say enjoy and appreciate because there can be joy brought from this because you're getting a full character story throughout this film. And you you see a lot of Emma Stone that you not you, you weren't aware that you're going to see a lot of. Maybe more than her doctor has. That is that is a warning. <laughs> so you know what to expect. There's This is an adult movie. Do you have a score for Poor Things? My score for Poor Things would be an 8.0. All right. It is really, really so good. Definitely worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing. It's going to get some Oscar bag. talk as well. If that's your bag. Okay. This is not for every audience. This 100% is not for every audience. Okay. All right. I would like to tell you about uh, Napoleon, which uh, I... Came in with very high hopes because uh, Napoleon is the period piece about Napoleon Bonaparte, who uh, is a famous conqueror uh, in history and uh, ruled France for quite some time. Not a whole lot of movies about him in recent history. Uh, Director Ridley Scott, who brought us Gladiator, knows how to, you know, give us a really good, you know, tension-filled epic um and joaquin phoenix who i think is also uh you know one of our better actors right now uh and vanessa kirby was in it as well uh as josephine uh the love of his life uh that being said the battle scenes in this movie uh which take place you know about we'll say 1800 uh just post you know our own revolutionary war uh were spectacular and something that hasn't been shown on screen a whole lot recently when you see 20,000 troops <laughs> in goofy outfits that warriors wore back then uh running across a field to face 50,000 people also dressed in silly costumes and bayonets um, is, it was amazing. The spectacularness of the, I mean, just gruesome battles that actually took place. Uh, It seems way worse than modern day warfare. Um, He did a great job, Ridley Scott, the director on that. Uh, But let me get to the real problem of this film. I like Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. He plays a Napoleon who is kind of a guy that comes out of nowhere, uh, gets notoriety because he's a brilliant war tactician, okay? But that's the only reason he gets anywhere. Uh, He's not respected by the French people, any of the French governments, of which they turn over many times in this period of history, or any other government or other military. So he's not a guy who's respected a whole lot. Um, The movie is mostly not battles, but the story of Napoleon's arc from coming out of nowhere, becoming emperor of France, and then eventually being sent off to live on an island until he dies. So the movie really kind of has that, that three parts to it. Early Napoleon, powerful Napoleon, emasculated and dethroned Napoleon. Joaquin Phoenix may have gone Nicolas Cage on us. I have never seen him do this. He took it too far. He was pretty good in the first third of coming to power. When he comes to power, 
He plays the character ridiculous, silly, stupid. A man who makes horsey noises when he's like wants to get in bed with his wife, uh, who actually stomps his feet like a horse would. Uh, he just went so over the top that I think he, he may have jumped the shark. Mm. There was a time when Nicolas Cage was making movies and, you know, we knew he wasn't, you know, maybe as great an actor as Joaquin Phoenix is. Uh, But then he kind of became a parody of himself. And I think that may have happened here with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, It's so weird and so out there and doesn't fit the rest of the film. Like, there's no reason for all of a sudden him, like, just because he's emperor to be a crazy weirdo character that Nicolas Cage would play. So I found that very hard to take. And I, you know, there was a lot of parts of this movie. And if you're going to explore Napoleon, give me uh, different aspects of his personality. Why, you know, why was he just this poor soul at the beginning and uh i really kind of left disappointed this is a long movie um i'm going to give it a 6.5 it's time for the big question on the untitled film project podcast we want your input too but first we'll give you ours so you can rip ours apart as we will each other a little hunger game you know, we'll stab each other with tridents uh, <laughs> over our answers, probably. Tell everybody what we're answering. All right. So the big question is, Jimmy Kimmel recently announced as the host of the Oscars again, who would we want to see host the Oscars? So, Gover, let's go to you first. I'm going to go to my standby, David Spade. You, you love David Spade. I, I'm a huge David Spade fan, but usually it's because he's kind of an under-the-radar kind of guy. Like, he's funny. His stand-up comedy is outrageously funny, but his projects that he works on, other than like Tommy Boy and Joe Dirt and Joe Dirt, <laughs> the rest of them are kind of underplayed, right? Even the when he played Cusco in the Disney movie Emperor's New Groove, that's an underrated movie. No, no one really talks about that. They sure. talk about other stuff, right? So it's he kind of has these kind of not bit parts, but like these kind of smaller films. Yeah, but he seems to score in most of them, right? The Wrong Missy, Netflix, is uh, is hilarious, but it went under the radar because it was during COVID. So there's, it's a, there's a lot of that. But with the kind of self-deprecating, but also willingness Hollywood Minute, which he's known for in SNL, right. to kind of go after some people in it a light way. It could be pretty way, snarky. It would be pretty perfect, I think. So I would like to see David Spade host the Oscars. All right. All right. Well, let me throw the first trident and say uh, that would be an encouragement for me to not watch. I'm That's not a fair. big David Spade fan. That's fair. I, I don't know if general audiences would. Uh, no, they wouldn't. But it's like better that. than going to this well the same time uh, yep. with Jimmy You're Kimmel every point. single right. time. Right. right. The point. copy and paste. Jimmy Kimmel. Copy right. and paste. Jimmy Kimmel. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right, Jim. All right, it comes to me, and I'm I'm going to go outside the box, and maybe this is some recency bias because uh, America, I think, I think really uh, enjoyed his coming out party on Saturday Night Live. Uh, no, most recently, I'll say it is uh, comedian Nate Bargatze. I almost was going to go there. I was almost going there. Okay, Nate, <laughs> Nate Bargatze is he's he's now I think become you know a, a mainstream guy. Uh, we've known about him because he's he's a, a comedian that came out. 
out of our local area. And we've known how funny he is uh, because of our proximity to him and being able to see him quite often. Uh, But he has many Netflix specials, and he just banged it out of the park on Saturday Night Live with some of the best skits, including his George Washington (laughs) Weights and Measures scene, which I think is, you know, going to go right up there with Cowbell. Uh, it's just so good. It's going to live for a long time. Nate Bargatze's, uh, his, his stand-up routine is sort of awkward, self-deprecating, and every man. And I think that's what the Oscars really need, because what do they get criticized the most about? Oh, you just, you're showing me movies that I've never seen, I don't want to see, uh, you're elitist, you're different from me, I can't relate to any of you people, um, you're just patting yourselves on the back. And, and I think Ooh. that Nate Bargetsy has a great way to point out very obvious things comedically mm-hmm. without being... Well, let's just say he's he's not Ricky Gervais, okay? And I loved Ricky Gervais, uh, but he's going to do it in a, in a way where there's going to be a sting, but it it might even he might even throw it at himself. But we know the real who he's really talking about, and I think people would really enjoy Nate Bargatze hosting the next Oscar ceremony. Okay, well, if you're going outside the box, and maybe I'm really going outside the box. Oh, here. Bradford, I, I don't even want to see the box. I want to. I want to be so far away from the box, I can't see it. Or maybe meta and going in the box deeper. Okay, so let's see here. Who I'd love to see host the Oscars, and I think you'd have people tuning in based on curiosity alone. Would be the Muppets. Oh, you have Kermit the Frog be the main host and you have different Muppets paired with celebrities to introduce each award that if if done properly, that could be fantastic. People watch it. People would 100 percent watch it based on curiosity alone. They would be their curiosity be peaked because then Muppets can can throw jokes. Oh, yeah. They throw jokes and they get away with a lot because it's a freaking puppet. True, <laughs> and they get away with a lot of things. And you and you pair them with real life celebrities to present awards. Then you're featuring all of the Muppet Gang. You're mm-hmm. also featuring different celebrities. And a lot of times, it's just the Muppets are would would break that tension. A lot of times, of the award shows are self awareness and self absorbed, and so much about sure. me, 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 and the Hollywood culture that I think for a general audience would break that up a little bit because they're like, okay, they're really trying to actually entertain us here with who they're bringing in as the host. That is the greatest idea you've ever had on this show. <laughs> That's solid. Holy crap. That's solid. Thank you. I'm not throwing tridents. I'm throwing bouquets of flowers. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Direction. It'd be fun, right? I mean, there's so many things you could do with the Muppets. Oh, yeah. And so they're, they're entertainers themselves. Everybody yes. from musicians to, you know, they've, they've put on a show over and over and over. So they relate. They, they're perfect. So I have a question. Uh-huh. I know this is all fantasy anyway, <laughs> but I still have a, a literal question. Would the Academy think it was making a mockery of the Knights? Because we just talked about, Jim just said, it's this snooty kind of entitled no, uh, elitist. No. You do it right, and it's, they're not going to think. Yeah. Okay, I know that. I really don't think they would. Okay. Okay, I, I would say uh, they would secretly say, oh, this is, you know, below us. You know, we're, we're too special the for this. Mm-hmm. But they could never say it out loud. Because nobody's going to let you talk bad about a Muppet. No. And the ratings. Oh. The ratings would be there. And what does right. it come down yes. to more than anything else? Are people watching and are the sponsors making money? Because they don't watch yes. anymore. 
Right. Nobody watches anymore. It's not entertaining. They get the recap. It's not fun. Yeah, they'll, they'll get the clips they want for the actors. They're very actually curious, and the category is actually curious. And almost immediately on social media, right? So why watch the whole thing as a general audience? Why? Why? I'll watch the whole thing. Why devote three and a half hours to did that one movie I saw out of the list they have win anything? Which right. is what we talked about last year. This is why Top Gun Maverick, I think, was nominated for Best Picture. Yes. Because, yes, it was hugely successful, obviously, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. But it was nominated among Best Picture, which was laughable to me. Because yeah. they needed something to gravitate to the original, to, to, to a wide, diverse audience that people have seen. That people they went to the theaters for for the first time in a few years. Right. They can't market everything everywhere all at once because no one's seen that. But we better get an I'm Just Ken musical number at the Oscars. That's true. Uh, it, I think just we're going to get it. I really do. Just say it. I think so. With OG cast. Well, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't have just, you know, generic guy out there singing. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> Brian Grossling singing. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Goss, Grossling. Grossling. <laughs> like Tom Hanks' brother doing all the voices for the toys and video games. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or the, so, wh- whoever came in second. Uh, so no, what the voice. You, what do you think? Tell us if we're crazy, if we're nuts, or who do you think would make a fantastic host? You can do that on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you listen to us. Just you know, write us a comment, even. You leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Please. And let us know who you think should be hosting the Oscars. Yeah. And I would guarantee you, I'm going to agree with probably three quarters of what you say. So, <laughs> most likely, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be going, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett.